another character in the film who you could think of as a Darth Vader kind of character. Yeah, that's true. You know, and there's a family thing there. Did you, was did the Star Wars thing ever come up, or did it never came up? Never came up. <laughs> you heard it first here. You got kicked out of high school, and then you just seemed to transition into being Willem Dafoe, like, you know, movie star, uh, Academy Awards. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey, and is that accurate? I'll tell you a little bit. It's not very accurate, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, and the, the story he's referring to, when I was in high school, there was a media class, which was a brand new thing. You know, people were starting to use, uh, you know, home videos. They were teaching kids how to... Uh, do uh, editing, that sort of thing. And we had a media class, and my idea was that I was going to do like a magazine show. And I was going to feature three outsiders at my rather large Midwestern high school. One was a guy that was a big advocate of uh, smoking marijuana. Which one was a nudist. A, 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 a futurist, a <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean, it's happening. <laughs> this is a long time ago, right? Um, People are going to you know, prison for a long time for just having that thought. You yes, know? yes. Um, so one was a marijuana guy, one guy was a nudist, and one guy was an older guy uh, going to school, an Italian immigrant that said he was a Satanist. So it was a very kind of playful thing to interview these guys. Well, I did it, and we were kind of freewheeling with the interviews. I was intending to cut many things out, but I went to lunch, I left things on the editing bay, and a teacher came in and saw it and was so scandalized that when I came back, the door was locked, and when I went to say, what's going on, they said, you're expelled. And then when I got home, my parents, who were I very seldom saw, both came from home from work and were like, so you're making pornography at school. <laughs> so it got blown out of proportion, and I cut a deal, basically, to. You know, they were talking about, you know, uh, pressing charges for using public equipment for pornography and all this. But that died down very quickly. And I left and I went to university and then uh, I worked in the Midwest for a little while at a small theater. And then I came to New York and started working for a company called the Wooster Group that still exists still today. Here, yeah. And I worked with them for almost, oh, well, 27 years every day. I was there when I wasn't making a movie. I started out as a theater actor, and then uh, people saw me at that very modest theater and uh, asked me to do movies. And with time, also the Worcester Group uh, found its support, and while it's still quite a small theater, it's uh, very well respected. I think that's a great segue into the first of the two movies we want to talk about today, okay. which is The Lighthouse, which, you know, I saw it, and I, it seems to me to be very, um, theatrical meaning not film, theatrical in nature in that, you know, on the theatre you are restricted with the number of things you can do and this film has been restricted. It's in black and white, it's in a different f aspect ratio. Uh, you want to talk to us about some of those choices? And sure, those choices are, are very practical and I don't find them restrictive, I find them liberating because it allows you to tap into really adventurous uh, choices about the film language. Yeah. Um, when you're shooting in black and white, you know, you light it differently, you have, uh, 
you, it's, uh, there's a lot of things you can do visually. That aspect ratio was kind of to bring you back to make it like a period film, because it is a period film, it's 1890s. And it's basically a two-hander with myself and Rob Pattinson. The story is very simple. Uh, it's basically uh, an, old, an old lighthouse keeper and his new lighthouse keeper coming to a lighthouse. There's kind of an antagonistic relationship because I'm the old hand and I'm kind of bossing around this new guy. He isn't quite with the program. He isn't quite what I had in mind. And then we don't get relieved and we're stuck there because of very violent weather. We're stuck there. We don't know when we're going to get relieved. All of a sudden the food goes. We do find plenty of liquor and we, <laughs> and, and we drink a lot. And if there were tensions before, they get much worse. <laughs> so um, that's the basic story, but it's, uh, it's not really a horror film. It's, it's uh, not really a thriller, really defies description, but I think it's like, some, not, like nothing you have ever seen before. And a beautiful character study. Um, I really enjoyed it. Very harsh conditions yeah. uh, shooting. There's a moment in the film which I loved, um, and uh, you, you, uh, you're asked about your cooking. <laughs> yeah. And, oh my God. And I just want to say, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but I just want to say, I, I do like your lobster. <laughs> okay. I really, Easy there, there boy. Is a, there is a whole thing in the thing. If you ask about his cooking and you don't like the cooking, I mean, Talk it's about Shakespearean and... It's got a beautiful text. One thing that's really nice is it's an elevated language because uh, we both have... He's kind of got a Mainer accent and I have kind of a West Country English accent. And it's written uh, very poetically. And one of the challenges was it, it's got a beautiful rhythm and a beautiful music to it. Um, but it, you got to keep it rooted. Yeah. But it, it, I love doing these speeches and uh, dealing with this text. It, it really has a great period feel and it um, is very evocative, the images it brings. Yeah, so if I were Willem Dafoe, and this is probably one of the many reasons I'll never be Willem Dafoe. <laughs> you can be. No, I don't think so. I would go on a film like that and I'd be like, I'm a movie star, I've got awards, I'm going to live in the lap of luxury, I'm going to have steak with Chateauneuf de Pup. That's Silly not boy. exactly how you lived, <laughs> is my understanding. No, listen, it's, you know, actors love to complain about the misery they go through in their work. You know, it's a great, it's great work if you can get it. And a movie like this is very harsh conditions, but of course, the beauty of it is you can put your, you can enter a world more easily when there's really tangible things working on you. When you're, I, I always prefer, I mean, there's all kinds of movies, but often I prefer working on location because you start to create a, a story, a narrative that's not of your life. Right. So you have the ability to take someone else's um, habits, someone else's point of view, someone else's feelings, and explore that. I mean, that's basically, you know, it's an exercise not only in empathy, but in transformation and a consideration of a different way of living. And that's always a pleasure because you learn something. And uh, so when you're pushed by the circumstances, that forces you to go to that place, even where you don't want to go, and sometimes it can surprise you. 
but and but those li you were living in kind of were you living in the lighthouse? Were you? I wasn't living in the lighthouse, but so you but weren't I, actually sharing beds in a room. No, no. Okay. <laughs> just we, we draw the line. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's a nice-looking fella. He is a nice-looking fella. Perfectly pleasant, but uh, homie, don't play. <laughs> Um, oh, there was a nude shot of you in the movie. I mean, hey, well, it's, we st we're still there. Um, but uh, where were we? You, I, I'm, I'm getting shy all of a sudden. We were. What were you actually living? I mean, were you living? Oh, and, uh, were, was it was it a practical thing. It wasn't like a big. Uh, you know, we were mostly shooting in. Uh, it wasn't an island. It appears to be an island. We made it look that way, but. It was a spit of land that was like uh, a peninsula, a rocky peninsula uh, in Nova Scotia yeah. that was really surrounded on three sides by ocean. So it, it, the weather was just crazy. And I lived in a, a fisherman's uh, cottage very close. Not because I wanted to do this crazy method thing, but just because it was close. Right. And I had a simple life and we were working every day. And, uh, I found that my life, my private life, was starting to become the life of the lighthouse because we were mostly working. And you'd wake up in the morning, you'd start a fire. It was very harsh conditions. I was living a very simple life, and it kind of approximated something that I was doing in the movie. And the, the difference between my regular life and the fictional life kind of got blurred. And if you can do that, um, it's it you know informs what you're doing. It's a it's a pleasure. It's yeah. an adventure. I mean, it certainly happened to you with Platoon. I mean, the same the same thing. Uh, you know, it's one thing to yeah. We were we were out in the bush learning how to do these soldier things, and then when we had to pretend, when we had to do the scenes, they were second nature to us. We had some sort of reference because we built an experience that you know, helps you with the pretending. It's, it's rooted in your bodies, it's rooted in your habits. You create new habits. Yeah. Um, how do you think um, the, the, those artistic choices, the black and white, the format, are going to affect, so there's a bunch of media people here, I'm a yeah. media guy. So how do you think that's going to affect the marketing? I mean, you know, we're all attached to our phones, we're all obsessed with how many pixels they yeah, have. Yeah, well, and, uh, yeah. everything's available, but, uh, you know, uh, new ideas, you know? <laughs> and really, the black and white, I think you forget that it's black and white after a while. Yeah. You got to remember also when color first came, people were like, this is crazy, color, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because black and white does ha certain things that color can't do. And particularly in this film, it has such a strong sense of the world and the place. And I think you couldn't make this film with color. If you see the movie, and I hope you do, uh, it couldn't be shot in color. It's really part of the world, creating the world. Yeah. And this, the director, Robert Eggers, who is a real talent, I saw his first film, The Witch, and basically I said, I want to meet this guy. I met him, and I said, let's work together. He said, yeah, okay and down the line, and he presented me with this script, and it was a beautiful script, and wow. it was like a no-brainer, you know? That's, so it actually happened because you reached out to him, and then he had the project. Yeah, wow. you, you know, it's important to cultivate these relationships. Yeah. When you see something you like, you know, you, you let him know uh, that you want to mix it up. You and know? you both come from a theater background. It's true, right? and so immediately uh, we were speaking the same language, and when he 
told me when he talks about what he envisions, I'm right on board with him. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in, in, in The Witch as well, he used. I, th used, it's I think of them as limiting, yeah. but you think of them as expansive. But yeah. he still he used all natural light in that film as well, right? So it's, uh, it's beautifully, yeah. beautifully yeah. shot. He's, he's he's pushing, you know, a cinema language in a way that uh, you know a lot of people have forgotten. Yeah, it's certainly very different from a lot of the films we see today. Yeah, and and also he did very uh, interesting things with and uh, uh, old lenses from the '30s. And I'm not very oh, tech savvy. Know. Oh yeah. He, he did many things to get a, his, his take on him and his DP, uh, Jaron Blasky. Yeah. Uh, they worked together with you know, all kinds of, he's very detailed, very well researched. It's a very specific look that could only be achieved with these special lenses, with this format in black and white. So the second movie, Motherless Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, you know, you are, um, you, you're the opposite. Different uh, world. Yeah. Um, this is the world of New York, yep. 1950s. Yep. Um, beautiful story. Edward directed, uh, acts in it, and wrote it. He lifted a character out of a, a Jonathan Leffen novel yeah. of that same title, and John, with Jonathan's blessings, and he put it in another period, and also. Um, I invented Changed new characters. Invented right? new characters and new story. Your character is, in fact, one of his yes, inventions. Yes, it's yeah. the whole story that alludes to uh, New York City politics yeah. Yeah. is invented. Yeah. And I think has certain resonances with yeah. uh, what's going on in the world now. For sure. So it'll, it'll mean something to people, I think. Um, it's a beautiful character. That's why he, I think he initially wanted to... Um, do something with this character because he was so uh, the character from the Leffen book. Yeah. Uh, well, I've read the book. It would be very hard to turn that book into a movie because it's yes. So, so we lifted that yeah. character out, right. who is a works in a, a, a detective yeah. agency, a small-time detective agency. Yeah. 1950s. His mentor gets uh, murdered, and he wants to find out who killed him. And in doing that, he stumbles on a huge story about political corruption and in, in New York City. And it's a fascinating story. That character is a guy with um, Tourette's syndrome. Yeah. And it's a case of he's, he's, his, his weakness is his strength. Because while socially he's alienated from people because they don't know how to deal with his behavior, there's a wide range of how Tourette's yeah. syndrome manifests, but he, he free associates in quite an uh, uncontrolled way, and he's got crazy OCD. Yeah. But he also can remember things, and he also puts things together in a way that uh, most people can't. So you have this very interesting hero. Yeah. My character, who, who, is, who is his brother, who is much more thoughtful and much more considering uh, you know, everybody, and uh, thinks much more holistically. But also, I'm sort of um, very marginalized. So it's, you know, you have two, uh, two sides of a coin. And, you know, it's not, it's not uh, a stacked deck. And one beautiful thing is uh, Alec Baldwin's character is kind of a villain in it, but when I'm watching the movie, I hear some, he, him say some things, 
and they're some of them are appealing, yeah. even though he's a repugnant character because his thinking is understandable. It's not just, you know, uh, a flat villainous portrait. It's and it's all, it's also a New York story. I mean, it's invented, but it's it's a story that uh, really expresses uh, a love for New York. So there couldn't really have been two different experiences for you from going to a lighthouse, living in a fisherman's hut, lighting your own fire, being away from your family, to shooting a movie in your hometown, with going home, I presume you went home every night. I, I, one would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we've just met. <laughs> you know, so, what, you know, and you said you like to go on vacation. I mean, not on vacation, but on location. Location. Uh, um, uh, but, you know, what's it like uh, shooting in your hometown? That must have been... You have said it's it. It's great sleeping in your own bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it, One of the things that I've always... I don't shoot in New York that much. I guess I'm not a New York character. But, um, <laughs> oh, I think, um, I think everyone here would disagree. <laughs> but, you know, when you shoot, you see the city in a different way. Yeah. And one of the really, uh, what I love doing is shooting in New York at nighttime, because if it's a night shoot, you know, you arrive maybe when the sun goes down and you stay all evening. So you see that shift from the workers of the day to the night happen, to the people going out, then you see the people who are kind of lost, and then at about, at about four o'clock in the morning, everybody on the street is looking for something, or, 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 or guilty, or something's gone wrong, and then you see the workers coming back. And that's a beautiful thing to see. You really get your, uh, get your feel for the pulse of the city. And also just, you, sometimes you'll be, uh, it's beautiful to shoot like at night in the city, in the summertime, because you're out on the sidewalk, you're looking up at the buildings in a way that you never look at the buildings before, you know, and you really get the sense of the city as a physical place. You can start to imagine the ground, you know, the bedrock underneath, if you're shooting uptown, the bedrock underneath yeah. the, uh, the streets. So you get a different take, because yeah. when we're moving around in the city, you know, it's all... I don't try to look at my phone on the street, but um, you know, you're, you're walking along, you're looking at people, you're hustling around. Where when you're shooting, you're in one place and the world's spinning around you. The two movies you play such different characters. One is a dark character um, and the other is Obi-Wan Kenobi, apparently. Mm. Um, uh, do you prefer one over the other? Do you like playing the dark or the light? I mean, you've played. I don't even think of dark, green, dark and light. You, don't? you know, I think it's conventional wisdom that you know, if you're playing, if you're playing any character, you, you want to inhabit that person, and uh, you know, we're we got everybody inside of us, you know, um, so you don't lean on that. You just you, you try to uh, be that person or inhabit that person consider being that person in all their complexity. So it's not that helpful. There's all kinds of movies and clearly some characters, their function is to be a bad guy or a good guy. Right. But you're not thinking about that. You're playing the scenes. You're trying to find the uh, dynamic. You're trying to find the human aspect of it. And you got to represent that person. And if you judge them, of course, then you start making presuppositions and decisions right. that you're not 
you're not you're going to pull your punches. You're not going to be living that part because you'll shy away from it. You'll be spinning it. You'll be thinking about how you're coming off. You'll be self-conscious. You got to be that person and accept it and take their point of view and their their all their flaws and everything. Well, I know that no matter what part you play, you're a really great person down inside because uh, you met my wife once. And uh, you met her walking into a grocery store and she couldn't push my child off the ramp. And then you came and helped her and pulled the pram into the grocery store. Yeah. So, <laughs> he's, a, he's a human being too. <laughs> so that's what we got, Willem. Thank you so much for Thank coming. You. All right, yeah.